Literally putting smiles on people's faces is something you and I can do every day. Your mission field is your family. It is the school you may go to, where you work, the social groups you're with, the opportunities you have for God to use you to turn around and say, God, how can I bless someone else? And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. We've been talking about the good life, and the good life is not about abundance of things, nor is it about the absence of trials and troubles. But that's what most people want the good life to be. Give me more, God, bless me more, and and help me get more. Or um, it is this whole idea of, you know, just, if I can just, no one wants trouble. But in this life, Jesus said, we will have trouble. The good life is about a relationship with the good God who passes on his goodness to us, even in the midst of difficulty. And as we go through those difficulties, he is so good, he blesses us with things. But the good life is becoming like Jesus, who was blessed with all these things, went through trials, and had an opportunity to bless others and give them from the goodness that he experienced from his Father in heaven. And so, like Cynthia, we can put smiles on people's faces. And the verse that I want you just to concentrate on this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. And we're going to say it together, so I'm going to ask you to stand, because my hope is that by the time we get done with this, I would convince you, through the power of the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to say, hey, I want my life to be the good life, and that means I want to share the goodness that God has shared with me. So this verse says, let's say it together, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. All I want to do is is use this little line. I want to say it this way. Say it with me. When the righteous prosper, the whole city celebrates. Okay, turn to someone and tell them that. When the righteous prosper, come on. Okay, I want you to say it with me one more time because I really want you to think about this. When the righteous prosper, what happens? The whole city. Let's pray. Father, we pray that when we get done with this moment in this time with you, that you will so give us an understanding from, from your heart to our heart what it means to live this life and to experience the goodness that you have given us and to share that goodness with others so that, God, when we do prosper, when we are blessed, people around us will celebrate. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. We're going to work through this quickly. Um, What happens when the righteous prosper? Uh, What happens? The city celebrates, right? On the same token, what happens when the wicked perish? There's shouts of joy. Now you kind of go, wait a second. We're not supposed to sell. We're not, aren't you taught taught not to go? You know, you're not supposed to go, yeah. Um, You know, like the guy in the Ohio State game, and I'm not a Ohio State fan, but, but they got beat. Ohio State got beat, and the guy tries to plant the flag in the middle of a not turf to feel, it was artificial and, and hurt himself probably doing it. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not supposed to do that. But I, what I love about the Bible is it is so real. It does not sugarcoat things. It tells us the truth. It never seeks to cover up the stains and sins of the saints. And all you have to do is read about a guy named Jacob and how he twisted the truth and manipulated to get things and read about his sons and Joseph's brothers. They're the patriarchs, the founders They're rascals. 
What I find is interesting about the Bible, the Bible is not saying here in Proverbs, you have to understand Proverbs is a statement in this one of truth. This is what generally happens is what it's saying. Okay, that's what a Proverbs is. It's, it's, it's a principle that generally happens. The Bible is not saying what you should do. It's rather just pointing out what really happens. And what happens when righteous prosper as a city celebrates? And what happens when the when the wicked person perishes, as people go, yes. The Hebrew word for rejoice here, when the city celebrates, or this idea that people rejoice when the righteous prosper, the word is a very interesting word. It's a unique word. It's only used one other time in the Old Testament, and there's a reason for that, because this kind of has military connotations, and, and it's the kind of, of, of word that would be like a World War II ticker tape parade. You know, some of you... And I'm not going to ask you your age here, but if you remember seeing shots of a ticker tape parade, right? They won and they're thrilled because the enemy has been vanquished. And it describes ecstatic joy, the kind of exaltation and triumph that people express when the oppressor is removed. This is the kind of word. It's a rejoicing that goes unbelievable. It is a big and robust word. A deep passionate rejoicing, the kind of rejoicing that happens when people wait year upon year, possibly even 108 years for their favorite baseball team to win the World Series. <laughs> go Cubs, go. And they actually quench the well, okay, enough of that. Um, who are the righteous? Who are they? I want you to look at there's the, the reason for the joy between the perishing of the wicked and the celebrating and the prospering of the righteous is the same. The, the reason for it is the same. And what he basically is saying, the people are different, but the reason for it, why they do it, it's kind of an interesting thing. Righteous, prosper, joy. Wicked, perish, joy. See, one is growing in influence through their prosperity, and the other is losing all their influence through death or some other kind of means. They're just out of your life. And so you get this picture of the righteous. And so to understand it, let's look at the lower part of that, that, that second part. Because this will give you a little idea of what this righteous prospering is about. Because there's a contrast that the author is trying to make here in this little principle called wisdom. So take, for example, the wicked. Let's think about it for a second. Have you ever had a bad boss? Maybe a poor coach. You ever had a rotten teacher? You know, take the teacher, you, you know, you go on and, and school ends, the semester ends, and you're just going, thank God this is over. I learned nothing. I got a lot of sleep. Or you have a coach, and the coach makes poor decisions, the team isn't winning, and, and the most important thing is they don't play your child because you know that your child, like every other parent knows, your child should be starting, right? Or, or maybe a bad boss. Think about it, a bad boss. What happens when that person's let go? Kind of like the, the whole room just goes, yes. They celebrate. Because as the wicked, as they grow in influence, what happens is when the bad boss, bad teacher, whether it's a bad coach, when they grow in their influence, they make life miserable, not even more for just you, but even for more others than just you. And they offer not the good life, but the bad, really rotten life. And that's often because the abundance of things that they're after has no compassion and no desire to do it with any of it but to 
to basically get you to give it to them. Or they are about the absence of pain, and because they don't want to take responsibility and they're about the absence of pain, they pass that pain on to you. And it's a rotten thing, because when the wicked begin to grow in influence, it's just not a good thing. It's not a good life. And so when they're gone, you kind of go, yes! And everyone's glad to see them go, because they are only the kind of people who take the profits for themselves. They set up policies that hurt the team. They oppress others, and you can just name them all, because you've been there. The wicked have influence and they use it only for themselves while the, pro, the, the righteous, here's the difference. When the righteous prosper, let's look at that. The word in the Hebrew is this word sadakim. It's used 200 times in the Old Testament and it's mostly used in the Psalms and the Proverbs. And it's a really tough word for Bible translators to translate well. Like certain words are just hard to translate well because there's a variety of meanings. And you remember people have heard this before for snow or something like that up in, in, in Alaska. In their language, there's like a hundred different words because they just have so many, they nuanced it so. But it's also true in other languages. In this word, it has a kind of nuances. And, and it's often translated just or, or lawful or, or, or righteous. Yet it doesn't fully capture the meaning. There's a theologian, his name's N.T. Wright. He says, the basic meaning of righteousness denotes not so much an abstract idea of justice or virtue, but of right standing and consequent right behavior within a community. You know the kind of person you go, man, they are in good relationship with all kinds of people. As far as you know, they're in good relationship with God. And because of their life, their goodness, it just pours out into the whole community. And the consequence is that everyone benefits because of this person's life. It's the kind of person that when that person passes away, that person loses a job, that person loses their influence. You're going, oh, you're not celebrating. You're bummed. One simple way to say it is the right, the righteous person, this word, is in right relation with God, with other people, even themselves. And all of creation, and they do what is right in all those relationships. They live not merely for themselves, but they live for the good of others. Which the good life is all about. Jesus said it this way, love your neighbor uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And, and then he adds this, this part, and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the reason for the ecstatic rejoicing. When they're blessed, they blessed. Now I'm going to just kind of draw this down a little bit further. There's a, uh, an author, her name is Amy Sherman, and she writes in a book called Kingdom Calling. These words... She says, the prosperity of the righteous must be making a remarkably positive difference in their city. They must be stewarding their power, catch that, their power, not not in order to manipulate and get things for themselves, but they steward their power and their wealth and the skills that they have and their influence for the common good to bring about noticeable, significant transformation in the city. Otherwise, what would prompt the residents to go crazy with ticker two type parades and the kind of gladness and gratitude that they see experienced. She makes this interesting statement. She says, clearly their stewardship, the righteous, their stewardship is not simply taking used clothes over to the Salvation Army thrift store so that the poor people might just find a $100 dress for $5. That's not the kind of rejoicing that comes from that. I like what she says here. She says, no. This dancing in the streets rejoicing occurs when the righteous, which is you and me, anyone who is open in their heart, 
to the goodness of God and says, I want to pass this goodness on. He, it says, dancing in the streets occurs when the righteous advance justice and shalom, which is the word really for the good life, that kind of deep peace, in the city in such ways that vulnerable people at the bottom stop being oppressed and start having a genuine opportunity and begin enjoying spiritual and physical health and economic sufficiency and security. It's the church or the churches, the righteous in a community that stand up and say, we are done with it and will not allow God sex and human trafficking in our community, even in the western suburbs. It's stopping. And as the Super Bowl comes, we're, we're going to say, God, what is it that you want us to do? So that some people who are trapped in oppression will go, yes, because of you. It's the kind of a joy that, that Cynthia experienced because two people chose to leave the comforts of a growing ministry here that had a great influence in the city and go to a, a squalid, impoverished place in Lima, Peru that looked nothing like a flowerful village. Dusty, dirty, and invested their lives in a whole group of people, actually built a home, and in that home, a little Cynthia, who probably would have gone into poverty and be trapped in that cycle of poverty, was able to get out, learned how to be a secretary so she could take and leverage that secretarial skill to move to a place to be a dentist so that she could put smiles on people's faces. It's the kind of thing that happens when a church says all together, and we really mean it, this is not some kind of a, oh, you know, vision statement. They come and go. I could care less. It's the church that says out of their heart, we will do whatever it takes, God, to serve. It's not our job to save. It's our job to serve. God will do the saving. To serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to find my part. I'm going to be a part of that righteous that says, God, you have blessed me. I want to turn around and bless others. That's what I want my life to be about. Because as the Proverbs say, says this, and I'd ask you to say it with me, when the righteous, get it? When the righteous prosper, the whole city celebrates. Now as we get going, you're going to want to say that even a little more energy, okay? <laughs> what do the righteous do? It's really quite simple. You'll be surprised at how simple it is, yet it isn't easy. It's never really that easy. The righteous actually serve. Just like I was saying, they serve. It's not a big deal. But again and again, Jesus had to stop his followers. He has to stop us from fighting and saying, you know, trying to use our power for ourselves to gain power so we can get more power that we can be. Nobody, you know, people can look at us and go, wow, isn't this great? Look at, he stops them and he says again and again, those who really deserve honor, the ones who are righteous. Verse 23 of of chapter 23, verse 11 of Matthew says, the greatest among you will be your servant. It took Peter a long time to learn that. He kept putting his foot in his mouth and doing all these things. And near the end of his life, he writes to a bunch of people who are following after Jesus. And he writes these words. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. Don't let yourself ever think that, that you have no gift to give. God uniquely created you in your, in your mother's womb, and he knew exactly who he created you to be. He has a destiny, a call in your life. It may not be some magnificent thing. It may be merely that you live in a way where you put smiles on faces of people around you by serving them in ways that help them prosper and flourish. See, the righteous do something. They get involved, they get engaged, rather than doing nothing. They intentionally say, I'm going to serve. 
And I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I'm going to ask you to think about it. Have you ever said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to step forward and do this? Because the righteous do something rather than nothing. They step in and they step up to help others. Here's the interesting thing. The wicked don't necessarily, it doesn't imply here that they aggressively necessarily even oppress those around them. It may mean something as simple as this. They just do nothing. They just sit on the sidelines. They just see a need, but they, they're about serving themselves. They're about not taking the risk. Yet the righteous, when they see things that aren't right, they, they have to step forward. They have to do something. They have to get involved. They have to serve. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. You might go, I've never done this. I'm going to take a risk. God loves people who take risks. You know the most popular chair in, in, in the nation, as poll was done a while back, is, is the, um, what's the, the recliner one? It's the easy boy? What is it? The lazy boy. It amazes me the most popular chair isn't the risky boy. <laughs> I was at a pastor's meeting this week with uh, Dan Johnson and a few others. We've been talking about, God, how can we come together as the church in this area to do something greater together than we could do ever alone? And we were just talking. He was just sharing some things going on as they were beginning their ministry. And he said he had a guy in his church who, who would go to the gyms, and he found out that the Wyzetta gyms became so crowded that there was an immigrant group of Indians who were there teaching people in their own, who played badminton, and they're really good at it. And, and because it's so crowded, they had to lose their time. And he came and he said to some of the staff, said, you know, we have a gym. How about if we open it up? So they've opened it up and they've got a group of people meeting in their gym who couldn't have be in a gym. That's just called looking and seeing a need and serving and doing something about it. And I thought it was funny because Dan said, you know, what's really interesting, we've, we've tried to play badminton to get to know them and they just kill us. So it's, you know, it's not working right now. So you see, there's gut level compassion for the hurting where you proactively see needs and then you don't just look away. And put your mind on yourself, but you, get, you begin to pray and say, God, what can I do about that? Are you calling me to respond? He's not calling you to respond to every need you see. You'll just go, you won't have the energy to do it. The righteous do good. That's another thing they do. And doing good is really quite simple. And it sounds simple, but it is seldom easy. Jesus said it this way in, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Love, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version because he says love, that is unselfishly seek the best or higher good for your enemies. That's what love does. That's not an easy thing to do. Make, they, they make it a practice to do good to those who hate you. It's not a one-time deal. It's I'm going to, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, man, they did it again. And neighbor's dog is in my yard again. It doesn't mean you don't put up boundaries. But you seek to win them over through being loving and good. And if you do good to those who do good, he says, what credit is it that to you? For even sinners do the same. Love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return for your reward will be great. And you will be sons or daughters of the Most High. Because we serve a God who is kind and gracious and he is good to the ungrateful and the wicked like you and me. And Jesus said, do what is good, even when it's tough to do, even when you don't want to do it. Even when someone's wronged you, it is really simple, but the righteous do it when it's tough. Here's what the righteous do, and this is not, it doesn't have to be big deals, big things. They forgive. They make a choice not to judge. They, in their heart, when they feel this desire to want to gossip and they hear the other voice going, don't do it. Listen to that voice and don't do it. 
They're kind. They do what they say they'll do. They'll be reliable. They show up on time. They write a note to bless someone, even though they don't have the time to stop to do it. They sacrifice sometimes something they actually want for the sake of someone else's want. These, in all kinds of ways, are the ways people do good. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do it. This week I was watching the news and I just caught a very quick clip of these parents of that two-year-old who lost their son. You might remember this, Lane Graves, who was drowned by an alligator at Walt Disney World. About a month after the incident occurred, just about a year ago, it's kind of been an anniversary of it, uh, they said, we're broken, but we're still, we're, we will not sue over the incident. And then the report quoted Matt, the child's father, said, Melissa and I are broken. We'll forever struggle to comprehend why this happened to our sweet baby Lane. As each day passes, the pain gets worse. Yet despite their grief, the couple said they would focus on the development of a charitable foundation named after the son and would not spend all kinds of energy to file a lawsuit. And this week, Matt and Melissa Graves made the headlines as they said, Lane had a very special light about him, and we promised him at his wake that we would turn this tragedy into good for many families. Sounds simple. It's not easy to do. They continued at the press conference that we believe we have found an impactful way for us to help others in similar circumstances and ease some of their burdens so that the parents can focus on their child. And their foundation eases the burdens of those who are in transplants by helping with transportation and lodging and food, paying for their monthly rent or whatever it is. And I thought to myself, think about this. If I was in that situation, the natural thing we hear these days, the the easy thing to do would be to expend all kinds of energy to get that money for yourself. And here's a couple that said, you know what, we're not going to do that. So instead of the lawyers making lots of money as two groups trying to decide how much money they can get out of something for maybe themselves, this family does something. And I don't know this, okay, but I'm just telling you this is probably what happened. Sat down with the Walt Disney World and said, we're not going to sue you, but what we want to do is do good. And this is the hardest thing in our life. It's breaking our hearts. But we know there's other parents who are going to come along and their hearts are going to break. And we want you to help us set up a foundation that will change lives because... When the righteous, what? Prosper. Say it with me, a little more energy. When the righteous prosper, the city, yes, you got it better than me. I just thought, that's powerful. The righteous give. They work for God's glory, not self-fulfillment. Doesn't mean that God doesn't bless them, they enjoy good things. God, Abraham was very wealthy, but he, he was also one who blessed people. That's what he, his, his call was. I'm blessing you, Abraham, and you can enjoy the blessing, but you're also going to be able to bless others. They recognize that all their gifts are really God's gifts. You know, everything you bring home in your paycheck is God's. Everything you own right now is God's. They don't see themselves as owners. They see themselves as stewards of the property and blessing that God has given them. 
Jesus said it this way, given it will be given you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you. I love the way the message says it. Give and you will be given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way generosity begets generosity. Generosity is a life that says you've been hope and handed to me, God. You've been merciful to me. You have given to me when I didn't deserve it. And so I'm going to turn around and just because you have forgiven my sins and, and you have said that I can have a relationship with you and not based on my goodness and not based on how much I can love you. Catch this. This is the gospel at its heart. You have a relationship. You have the opportunity to have a relationship with God, your father, because of Jesus Christ. Not because you love him so much, but because his love is in his heart for you and he knows that you've sinned. He knows that you've fallen short. He knows you don't deserve to be in his presence, but he gives you that gift and all you have to do is receive it. And that's how you turn around and bless others. You just say, I'm here. God, you've given me something I want to give. Now, I want to just share with you one other illustration, and I'm going to show you a video, and, I, I just, and then we'll go into communion. Um, it's been a little hard in some ways in my... Oh, I don't know how to share this. Okay. We met as elders last Tuesday night, and as we were meeting with the elders, we were just talking a little bit about our financial situation, about 90000 down in the general budget, and, and, and you got real nervous. Um, we've been there before, and yet in my heart I go, I just, God, we have this vision to serve the community, and if we're going to serve the community, it's going to take people to resource it. So that's, that's just plain and simple. And I was kind of just in my heart, just kind of going about it. The elders, I just love their hearts. They said, well, let's just pray about it. They're so, you know, we'll pray about it. We have this double your donation thing coming up. We had no one given anything to it at this point to double anything. So double your donation would have been zero, which would have been zero. Um, We have this um, campaign that we're on good track and God's blessed us. But as I'm going home, I'm talking to someone about that meeting and that person says to me, you know what? God's really blessed us, so I'm going to give $20,000 just to start that campaign. And I just was like, thank you, God. And I, I get in the door, and you know how your phone pings? I get a little ping. And I look at it. And it was from a young couple in our congregation who has no idea of any of this. They're in their 30s with young children. Here's a few lines from their email. I want you to know that my wife and I prayerfully feel led to offer an anonymous matching contribution up to $10,000 dedicated to the Grow and Gather campaign. Historically, I believe another church member has offered this in the past for the general fund, which has inspired us to do the same. Catch it. Which has inspired. Generosity begets generosity. God loves you, forgave you, and you go, how can I hold someone? He's forgiven me a million dollars. How can I hold five cents against someone? Generosity begets generosity. And, and this couple writes, it goes, historically, I think someone else stepped up for this part, but we would like to do this. And I was just going, God, this is amazing. Because what hit me was the timing of it all. I was in my heart going, okay, God, I get this conversation. And the person says, I'll step forward and general fund. And then I get a ping in my email. And it's like, I can just tell you, it was like Jesus just said to me, you know what, Kevin? You are, as a congregation, on the right track, God. It kind of just said to me, I will take care of what I want done here. And I just said, you know, I really believe it. Because as the proverb states, when the righteous prosper, the whole city celebrates.